The reading this morning will be taken from 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. If you have a pew Bible, that will be found on page 1054. 1054. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. These things are right to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know that you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Good morning. It is good to see each of you this morning. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. We're thankful you're here. Uh, we're encouraged by your presence, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. I bring you greetings from Tanzania, Africa. Uh, what a great work that was, and what a great campaign. And we will say just a few minutes, and, and just a little more about it in just a few minutes, but then hopefully be able to tell you more about it at a, another occasion. There are so many good things that God allows us to be a part of that it, it really is amazing. We want to tell you and remind you, uh, not trying to give full explanation, but if these things are things that you have a connection and an interest to, be sure and look in the bulletin or other sources of communication to find out more about it. We want to give honor to our veterans this coming Friday, and there'll be a veterans breakfast here, and veterans and one guest can come, and we want to honor you, but we also want you as a congregation to be inviting veterans out in the community so we can honor them also. So please help us get the word out. There's a sign up at Information Center. Daniel Nordstrom will be speaking this year. And if you have ever heard him speak, you know it will be a treat. I was visiting with him on this mission trip as we were flying back. And he was actually telling me some stories, even that he plans on sharing part of them from, from connections of others that he had, a prisoner of war. And, and it, it's just amazing. You won't want to miss this. Also, as we think about upcoming events, we want to invite you to a grief seminar this coming Sunday afternoon. As the holidays approach, it usually intensifies the pain of grief, and we want to do whatever we can do to help each other, and again, to help even those in the community, so help us get the word out. Uh, Bond Funeral Home and Sellers Funeral Home, uh, we will have a speaker at each of those places, 2.30, this coming Sunday afternoon. The community that they serve will be invited. Then from there, they will be invited to come here for a four o'clock session and a five o'clock session. Let me tell you a few of the things that will be discussed. These are not all in one session. Over the six sessions, here's what will be discussed. Grief in the holidays, helping widow and widowers, practical things anyone can do to help others, depression and grief, how to talk to children about grief, and what people need to know about grief. Those are the six topics that will be covered. There's a lot more to learn about that, but note that, take advantage of that. If you are hurting or you want to know and to be better equipped on how to help other people. Also, Next Sunday will be the time that if you want to join in, what we as a tradition do is we make a list of 100 things of which we're thankful for, and we will begin on the 13th and make 
10 items on a list each day. And by the time Thanksgiving Day rolls around, you'll have at least 100 things for which you're thankful. Also, we have a ministry that really it's the way God does ministry. He just grows it and grows it. And that's what's happened with Operation Turkey. Throughout Latin America now, there are a lot of Christian uh, ministers, their families, and because they share generously with their church families, a lot of congregations, that all they know is that there's this congregation in America that they give a Thanksgiving meal just to say, we love you and we want to encourage you. They absolutely love it. There are 105 families as you exit the foyer here and look back to your left and back on the wall that is on this wall here out in the foyer, 105 families. If you'd like to give a $50 gift, that will buy their Thanksgiving meal and most of them share with their church family. Also, we'd ask you to write at least a short note to let them know that you're gonna be praying for their family and you appreciate the work that they're doing in the kingdom. That note will be translated into Spanish so they can read your wishes and know that you're praying for them. If you would like to include a picture of your family, that too will be given to them so that they can know who it is. They keep those pictures. We know from experience, we've been into the houses where they have those pictures where a family is praying for them. Listen, the $50 gift is generous. But to say you love them and praying for them is an amazing gift of generosity. And we hope that you will participate in that. I know all of you keep up real closely what's on the church calendar. And you'll notice that it says this coming Sunday is prayer day. We just want you to know that because the 13th was so busy with other things, we are putting that back one more week. So on the 20th, we'll be praying in our Bible classes. During that time, we'll be praying for every member every prayer request, as well as every ministry. And so be looking by Wednesday night of opportunities to turn in prayer requests and all of you that lead ministries will be in touch with you also this week. A lot of time in January, we place a heavy emphasis on orphans and the need for that God gives us as his children to care for children in need. This year we'll be doing some of that even tonight because there's a national organization that is urging religious people to be advocates for orphan care uh, this Sunday and next Sunday. And so we want to be an advocate, if you will, for anyone in need. And surely we ought to have a voice for the voiceless. And so that's what we'll seek to accomplish this evening. And John White uh, will share a, a lesson on hope in that arena of thought. We've been looking all year at the topic of marvel. During our time in Tanzania, we went 110 miles west for one particular day. And on that day, we were able to see the Ngora Gora crater. That crater is miles across. It was created by a volcano. And now it's, the wildlife in that crater is protected from poaching and, and other hunting that would take place. And you can ride down into that crater and you're just within a few feet of all of the wildlife. They're not domesticated at all. They're still wild. And you see the wildebeest and the water buffalo and the zebras and the lions and, and just on and on and on. And of course the animals too, yes, but just being in that crater 
There, there are no words that I have that could communicate to you the awe of that. It's truly a marvel to behold. Only God could create something like that. It's one of the seven natural wonders of Africa. But yet what we saw as we had the opportunity to open up our Bibles in individuals' homes or sitting outside their home on a little rock or stump, we saw something even much more marvelous. We look forward to tell you, telling you a lot more about this some other time, but we saw 61 and, and really, because right now it's in mid-afternoon right now in Tanzania. And so this morning at their worship, there was another baptized into Christ. And so there's been at least 62 baptisms. We were blessed to see the Arusha congregation that is a very, very strong congregation of the Lord's people. They have a little more than 100 in attendance. They have a lot of men that are strong leaders, a lot of women that are godly women, and even their children. I just wish you could have seen their children setting together and singing together in worship. Listen, don't ever think because a congregation of the Lord's people is on the other side of the world that they're weak. There are strong, vibrant, healthy congregations of the Lord's people all around the world. We were also reminded of the power of the gospel, to sit down and open the gospel and see people respond. I want to serve this Jesus. I want to obey him. And to see that was absolutely a marvel to behold. And then also to just be reminded of how blessed we are to own a Bible. Many of you gave... And we are so thankful with those Bibles that were purchased. Uh, we gave them, once we had the third study with them, we gave them a Bible of their own. All of us have our stories of what we witnessed, but most of us saw things like this. When they learned that they were allowed to keep the Bible, they would kiss it and they would hug it. And they would tell you over and over how thankful they are that now they have their own Bible. And they would say on their own, without us pr prompting it, they'll say, I'll read it every day. God's Word is beautiful. I hope that just because we have many copies available to us that we haven't forgotten how marvelous it is to have a Word of God in our hand. It's truly many marvelous things to behold. I know we spent a few lessons a couple of months ago on this, but I want to do one more on this as we then will move into the, the marvel of thanksgiving and, and, and abundance later on this month. But right now, I want to remind you of the marvel of the church. If we were to list some of the greatest creations that God has made, the church is one of the most marvelous creations that God has made. That's interesting to contemplate when so many people, on the other hand, think that the church is very negative. They think the church is, is of, of bad consequences, if you will. How can that be? How can it be that it's literally one of the greatest creations of God, and yet on the other hand, so many speak so negative about church? Did you notice the text that was read already this morning, capably read there in 1 Timothy 3? Notice there in 15 when he says, but if I'm delayed, I write to you so you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves. Some translations would even say so that you know how you ought to behave yourself. 
You know why some people, I'm not saying everyone by any means, but you know why some people think the church is such a negative topic? Because of the conduct or the behavior of some who have claimed to be a part of the church. There are individuals that they're co-workers with someone who says that they're part of the Lord's church. But when that co-worker sees the way they lose their temper or the way they do business in an unethical way or the way they gossip about them or stab them in the back, it doesn't take them long to say, I'm not impressed with the church at all. I don't like the church. When individuals go to school with students that say they're a part of the church, but then they're the most ungodly acting people they know that harm and hurt other people, it doesn't take fellow students long to say, I don't want anything to do with the church. Look, you and I didn't come up with this. The scripture is inspired by God. God's the one who says there is a certain conduct that the church is to have. And listen, this conduct is of great importance because God said it. He brought it up. He taught about it. But it's also of great consequence. Let's put it this way. Are you ready to have something to think about this week? People in your circle, they either think more highly of the church because they know you're a part of it, or they think more negatively of the church because they know you're a part of it. And you don't get a choice about that. Everybody has influence. So you can't say, oh, I, I don't want anybody to draw any conclusions based on me. <laughs> you know, the athlete. I'm not a role model. Yes, you are a role model. Everybody has influence. And so the way you live as a part of the Lord's church, people either love the church because of you or they despise the church because of you. Your conduct is of great importance and great consequences. Now with that in mind, it's interesting that after Paul lays out this, this line of thinking that I'd love to be with you and talk with you about this in person, but I'm afraid that I'm not gonna be able to make it. So if I don't, I want to go ahead and write this to you so that you can be thinking about it. And then he lays out three descriptions of the church. There's people in this room that are faithful to the Lord, faithful to his church. And if we were to sit down and listen to them talk about the church, we could probably gain some great wisdom. But still, that would only be people's wisdom about the church. What about if God described the church? What if you said, God, how do you want us to see the church? It's interesting here to finish out verse 15. He says, I can tell you three ways I want you to see the church. And if you see the church in these ways, there very well may help you to understand the conduct that you ought to have. So number one, he says, I want you to see yourself as the house of God. That's family language. That's language to say, I want you to see yourself not just as a cold institution. Oh, what's the church? Oh, it's just this institution I'm a part of and I just, I kind of show up on Sunday and I just do some. He said, I want you to see each other as family. And I want you to see me, how? How does God want us to see him? You remember when Jesus, the disciples came and asked him, teach us to pray? Remember how he began that prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, 
God says, I want you to see me as your father. I want you to see yourself as children. I want you to see each other as brothers and sisters. As a matter of fact, just over a page in the text that you're opened up to there in 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter in verse one and two, he even goes into detail. He says, I want you to see the older men as fathers. I want you to see the older women as mothers. I want you to see the younger men as brothers. And I want you to see the younger women as sisters. And then he throws out in purity. In other words, he says, I don't want this flirtatious thing going on between husbands and wives that aren't husbands and wives of each other. You ever seen that culture established in certain cliques of the Lord's church? Isn't it interesting that when he says, I want purity among my people, he puts it into family language. In other words, you can say this is sick, but in other words, what he says in 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, what he implies is I don't want incestual relationships within my church. I want you to have a pure relationship. You see the, the, the people that are your age as brothers and sisters. You see the ones older than you as fathers and mothers. You have a family tie here and you see me as a heavenly father. You see Christ as a elder brother. Turn over with me, if you will, to Romans the eighth chapter. We don't have a slide for this, but if you'll turn over Romans eight, to get into uh, verse 14, I want to remind you in Romans 8 and verse 12 and 13, by the way, the Bible that's in your pew, I believe that's on 1005, if you want to follow along there, 1005. And so what he's saying in 12 and 13 is that we can live guiding our life by our fleshly nature and we can live fleshly lives. Or we could live guiding, uh, allowing our life to be led by the Spirit of God and we can live spiritual lives. And so which one's going to guide us? Well, with that being said in 12 and 13, he says in verse 14, I want you to notice this family language as we read along. For I'm in Romans 8 and 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, what are they? These are sons of God. So now notice, if you live your life by fleshly nature, you can't be a son or a daughter of God. But if you allow your life to be led by spiritual nature, you're sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are called what? children of God. And if children, then heirs, and then he describes this further, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. What a beautiful thought. Someone says, well, I understand that God saves us and, and is there any more to understand? And here in this passage, you say, absolutely, there's more to understand. You're not just saved and, and then treated with a distant relationship. Here this passage teaches you that the bondage of sin is broken and you are saved to be in a family. You are saved to be brought near. The spirit of adoption where then everyone can cry out, Father, Father, because he really is our father, because we really have been adopted. And then in the next verse, he describes further. You can describe those people as the children of God. And then someone says, but how close? 
You know, we've all heard expressions of speech where, where someone is not really brought into the family. You know, where someone like the redheaded stepchild, they're, they're kept at a distance. When the father adopts us, how close does he bring us? Well, the last verse we read is amazing. He says, I'm going to bring you in and I'm going to give you an inheritance. In other words, you're going to have the full rights of a child. And if you doubt how much that inheritance is, he says, not only am I going to give you an inheritance, but are you ready for this? He says, you can be joint heirs with Christ. I don't fully comprehend that. But you want to think about marvelous promises that's offered to us? To think about whatever Christ, as God's Son, gets to enjoy in heaven, we share. He is Son of God. We are sons and daughters of God. We share jointly in that inheritance. Adoption has been a beautiful thing in our physical family. My daughter and her husband have adopted three daughters. And when the first daughter was in the process of being adopted, my sister was just conversing with my father. And I want you to misunderstand, what was said wasn't because of any other thing that was said, it was just a conversation of, we're gonna have a new baby in the family. And she said, now, Dad, you understand that when she becomes a part of our family and she's adopted, she's as much family as anybody in our family. And she said, in other words, you'll love her and she'll be as part of our family just as much as any of your other grandchildren. Imagine having that conversation with the Heavenly Father as we read through Romans 8 right here. God, are, are you really going to bring us into your family? And, and even though we're adopted, are you going to treat us just as good as your son, Jesus Christ? And he says, listen, not only am I going to bring you near, I'm going to let you share in the inheritance. And not only am I going to let you share in the inheritance, I'm going to let you share in the inheritance just like Jesus Christ. A joint heir of Christ. If your mindset is I'm a part of the Lord's church and what that really equates to is we gather on Sunday mornings with an assembly and that's the church. I'm not taking away from the importance of assembling with the church. But if in your mind that's all church is, you have missed it. You have totally missed it. Can you imagine someone saying, hey, tell me about your physical family. And your answer was, oh, we just gather around a dinner table and, and we eat dinner together sometime, but that's about it. I, that, that, that's about it. We just gather occasionally. You mean there's nothing more to your physical family than just gathering occasionally? If you want to understand the church, you must realize that our assembly time together is just one, very important, but one out of many things that the church does. 
The assembly in one sense is not the definition of us. It's what we do. The definition of us is we're the family of God. We love our heavenly father. We love our elder, our older brother, Jesus. And we love each other because we're family. But notice this second description as we go back to 1 Timothy. And we look in the third chapter in verse 15. And he says, not only how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Now notice the grammatical structure of that sentence. The church of the living God. In other words, that church of points out a possession. In other words, who does this church belong to? This church belongs, it is owned by God, the church of, but then notice, and we'll come back to that in just a moment, but notice that next, it's the church of which God? The living God. Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is working in Ephesus. The church was established in Ephesus under the shadow of the temple of Diana. The temple of Diana was such a, an amazing structure that it's still considered one of the seven ancient, one of the seven wonders uh, of the ancient world. Let that sink in. That's how magnificent this structure is. Out of all the ancient structures, this is considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was a world religion. People traveled literally from all over the world to come to the temple of Diana. Paganism was strong. What was Diana? She was a carved out goddess that man made with their own hands. Man made the temple that she was housed in. In other words, the emphasis in this kind of teaching is God is saying, that's a dead idol. Well, who are you, God? I'm the living God. Man created the goddess Diana. God, the living God, created man. The living God is what's going to sustain men and women into eternity. A dead God like Diana cannot sustain people now and especially into eternity. So who do you want to belong to? Do you want to belong to a church that belongs to the living God? Or do you want to belong to a church that belongs to either gods or goddesses? that are dead? Or do you want to belong to a church that was established by men or women? In other words, someone might say, well, I look around the community and I, I see a lot of churches. Does it matter which one I'm a part of? Well, it matters what you expect out of your church. Do you want a church that belongs and is owned by the living God? so that you can be saved. And so that when you breathe your last breath, there's a power beyond this life that can deliver you into a heaven. When we think about this, it really comes down to this. When Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I'll, I'll come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also 
The same kind of teaching was in first, that was John 14, first few verses. First Corinthians 15, verse 24, 25, and 26 teaches us that Jesus is coming back at the end of time. And he's going to put all the enemies to death. And then he's going to gather up his people, those that belong to him, the church of Christ, the people that belong to Christ. He's going to gather his people up and he's going to deliver them into heaven. So the question is, what do you want out of your church? If you want just a good Sunday morning gathering that just kind of makes you feel good and you study some scripture together and you go out and do some good works and all you want is some kind of good social environment, you want some kind of good lesson that's made you think a little bit, if that's all you want out of your church, there's a lot of man-made churches. It's called denominationalism. There's a lot of man-made churches out there that are very, very good at that. But you go back to any of the founders of each of those denominations and you ask them this, do you have the ability to conquer death? Do you have the ability to save my soul? Do you have the ability to build a heaven for me? And if you want that out of your church, you don't need a church or the church of a man. You need the church of the living God because he is the only one that can deliver that. It's interesting out of the many ways the church is described in scripture, the most frequent description is ownership. Saying that the Godhead owns the church. Acts 20 and 28, he literally is talking about the church and he says that he purchased with his own blood. Christ's blood purchased the church. God owns the church. And so if we're a part of a church that man established and man created, we're going to miss out on all that only the living God can offer for us. So if someone says, well, how do we work with this? How do we know what is what and which is which? And that's a really good question to ask, isn't it? Well, let's notice this next description and we'll have to make this kind of quickly here. But notice in 1 Timothy 3 and 15, let's go towards the end. Notice he said it was the house of God. So there's the family of God, the church of the living God. It's the church that the Lord owns. And notice he says, the pillar and ground of truth. Isn't that an interesting way to describe the church? And I want you to notice, that is a description of the church. The church is to be the pillar and ground of truth. Ground is that which is settled into. Any of you that know anything about construction know that you have to dig out a foundation or if you build something without the right foundation, it will not stand. And so if we're going to be a part of the Lord's church, where is the foundation of the Lord's church? The Lord's church is rooted in truth. Throughout the Bible, there are many teachings about the danger of adding to the word of God or taking away from the word of God. Luke 8 and 11 talks about a parable and it says that the word of God is a seed in this parable. Now think about this for a moment. If all we did was plant the word of God, imagine it be a seed put in the ground. What church is going to grow 
if only the word of God is planted. Only the church that belongs to God. Now, if you plant the word of God and some man-made teachings with it, or if you plant the word of God, but take some of the teachings away, it would grow a man-made church. But if the only thing you plant is the word of God, the only thing that will grow is the church that belongs to God. Where does the church rise from? The church has always risen from truth. Someone says, well, I, I think the denomination I'm a part of, I think, I think they only plant truth. Well, then why do you have the additional creeds? Why do you have the additional teachings? If you take those away, what would you have left? You'd have only the church that belongs to the Lord. But now as this church grows up out of truth, what's her responsibility? Her responsibility is to be a pillar, hold up truth. Listen, we've got to accept this. The Lord has not given the responsibility to anyone else to get truth around the world. It will never be the place of government to hold up truth. It will never be the place of civic organizations to hold up truth. It'll never be the place of social clubs to hold up truth. The only plan that God has for truth to be held up as a light to the world around them is the church. The church is to have men and women. The church is to have families and individuals that they go out into the community daily and they live being rooted in truth and being the ones that hold up truth. And there is no plan B. Well, I tell you what, the, the church has stopped holding up truth, so let me send back a prophet like Moses or Elijah or Jeremiah. I tell you what, the church has stopped doing it. Let me send back a, an apostle to the earth. I'll send back maybe Peter or Paul or maybe Jesus Christ himself. The church has stopped doing it. Let me go back and walk on the earth again and let me tell people about truth. He's not going to send back an apostle. He's not going to send back a prophet. He, Jesus Christ is not going to come back and walk on this earth again. How is truth going to be spread around this world? One way. God says, my family, that's a part of my church that I own, rises out of truth and holds up truth, and that's how truth is spread. And if we ever stop doing it, it stops being spread. How does that change our conduct? What about if we leave here and this week we realize that the way people are going to know the church is how you and I, the church, behaves ourselves. And so we go to work and school, do we look like family of God? Remember Ephesians 5 and 1, be imitators of God as his dear children. Do you look like God by the way you live because he is your father? Does he own you? 
Oh, well, I want to do this at church. I want to teach this at church. I want to do this. How's the Lord's church going to worship? It's already been decided. We don't have to decide. It's already been decided. What's the Lord's church going to teach you about salvation? We don't have to decide. That's already been decided. Do we believe that? Do we believe that and allow that to be the guide? We're part of the Lord's church. And do we realize that because we're the Lord's church, we rise only out of truth and we hold up only truth. I hope you can join me with a commitment. It's not original, of course. It's just what we study. I would have counted my life a failure if I walked through this life by my behavior or by my teaching, adding or taking anything, anything away from the Word of God. Because when God created the church, He created people that were going to be saved, brought together in His family, His church, formed by truth, holding up truth. Their conduct and their behavior is truth-based, and that's all they teach. If we understand this right, we don't have a choice. Someone says, what do you believe about? Fill in the blank. I just believe what the Word of God teaches. It's truth. I conform to it, and all I can say to you is I encourage you to conform to it. It's all we can be. It's all we can do. And what's beautiful is that God's people are very loving people. They're very patient people. They're the epitome of their father. Is there anything we can do to help you this morning take steps closer to God? If you're not a part of the Lord's church, you've never been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, could we encourage you to do that this morning? Maybe you don't know enough to do that and you want to study it. Could we sit down with you and study with you? We'd love to do that. We could have somebody to study with you this very next hour. If you have questions, we'll just find a room and open God's Word and just study with you. We'd love to do that. Maybe you know that you've been a Christian, but right now your life and his conduct sure doesn't reflect it and you want to repent of that and confess it and pray forgiveness. This group of people ought to go out this week and live in such a way that people would say, the little bit I know about the Lord's church, I love it. I'm so impressed with the love and the kindness of those people. Can we help in any way? Come as we stand, as we sing.